Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having done over a thousand episodes of Coaching Coordinator, sometimes some of our best episodes get lost in the archives. So you have to go back and take a listen to them. And one of the early ones we did was with the head football coach of Navy, Ken Niamatololo. And he shared with us some of the ideas and philosophies that bring the midshipman success on and off the field. Enjoy this episode. Ken Niamatololo is today's guest of the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Niamatololo has been on the Navy staff since 2002 and has been in the program's head coach since 2007, posting a record of 77 and 42 during that stretch. He sits down with me today to discuss the program culture at Navy, staff accountability, and the advantages to running the triple option offense at the Division I level. Coach Niamatololo, welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Show. Hey, Keith. Thanks for having me. Coach, what lessons did you learn in your early years that made an impact on your development as a coach? What I started doing is just paying attention a little bit more in meetings and starting to learn um, what other positions did. I played quarterback, so really tried to learn what everybody did and, you know, try to learn more technique of other positions. And then after that year, uh, my position coach, Coach Paul Johnson, the current head coach at Georgia Tech, just asked if I'd be interested in being a graduate assistant and kind of noticed that I'd, you know, studied the game. And so I, you know, just told my wife then that, hey, you know, might have an opportunity to be a graduate assistant. They don't make any money, but told her, you know, I could do it for two years. And then we'll see if I got hired. If not, if I didn't, then I would just move on and so it worked out. I mean, I I didn't know, I didn't grow up wanting to be a coach. I mean, uh, but, you know, I had an opportunity to stay close to the game. and But that's really how it all started. And obviously, as coaches, we learn continuously throughout our careers. Uh, but in your 27 years, what would you point to as uh, some things that have been key for your development as a coach? Uh, great question. Um, my first position, uh, you know, I played quarterback, but my first position that I uh, started as full-time was offensive line coach. I was an assistant offensive line coach. And at first when I got hired, I was like, man, that's the last thing I want to do. I want to be at Skelly. I want to be at seven on seven and all those kinds of things, stuff that I knew. Uh, but I didn't realize that it was a blessing in disguise for me being able to be around the offensive line, uh, seeing the world, learning the offense that I played under, from a diff- seeing it from a different lens. 
and just seeing how, you know, valuable the O-line did and just seeing what the world did. So I thought that was, you know, very valuable. You know, all the coaches that you coach with, obviously Coach Johnson had a huge impact on me just grammatically, just learning option football from him. All my college coaches, Coach Tomey and Coach Wagner, had a big influence. John Robinson, I worked for him at UNLV, and I learned a lot of uh, how to become a head coach or just learned a lot of managerial stuff from him. I thought he was really, really good with people. Um, and I didn't realize it at that time. I mean, you just work for people, but you just kind of pick up stuff from different people. And I just learned from him how to treat people. He was good to everybody, you know, just everybody that, you know, came through the building, he treated with class and respect. Uh, so I thought those were all things. And then I, I went from O-line to coach wide receivers at, at the University of Hawaii. And then when I my first job here at, at UNLV, I was coaching slapbacks, all of it in the same offense. And then I became an offensive coordinator in uh, 1997. Um, I actually got fired. And I think that was actually a big part of my development, kid. Just from I was a young, probably cocky coach, thought I had all the answers, and probably argued too much in the staff room. You know, didn't know how to, didn't know when to keep quiet. You know, just voice your opinion or your ideas. And ultimately, the head coach is the boss, and if he has some ideas, and you can express it. And if it comes to a point where he says no, no is no. And I think at a young age, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't like taking no's. So I think all of those along the ways, learning from all those people, getting fired, coaching all the different positions in this offense. So in this offense, I've coached every position. So I got a pretty good grasp and pretty good view from different uh, perspectives I think's really helped me. Speaking of your offense, what makes an offense like yours with the triple option a- appropriate for a place like Navy? Well, I think it's a very selfless offense. You gotta, you know, you can't be one of those guys. Hey, how many times am I gonna get the run the ball, or how many times am I, I'm gonna get the ball thrown to me? It's, it's about you know, it's about moving the ball. It's about scoring. It's about blocking for each other. It's uh, to me, I kind of equate it to uh, basketball. I mean, you got to be a team that's selfless. That's so, you know, it's not gonna be afraid to score and shoot, but also don't be afraid to give the ball up and get an assist and have just of you much as much joy in getting assist as you do scoring, and that's the thing with this offense. It's a team-oriented, selfless offense. But I think more than anything, Keith, the thing about it, it it's sound. You know, it's I learned this offense from Coach Johnson in 1987. Obviously, there are people that ran it before that with Oklahoma and different people that ran option football, and it's still successful here in 2017. Because it's not a gimmick offense, it's based off numbers, it's based off angles. And so um, that's the thing that I know. I mean, it's a a sound offense. And obviously that selfless kind of offense certainly fits with the culture of the Naval Academy. Um, And thinking about culture, which obviously has become a hot topic today for coaches, uh, what do you do differently, do you think, in building a culture at the Naval Academy as opposed to schools that don't attract the type of player that you do? I think as, I mean, I think culture, some people think it's overrated. Uh, I, I'm one of those proponents that don't believe that way. Um, I'm more into building culture and building team unity, uh, building relationships than I am on the schematic side. Even though I feel from an option standpoint, 
You know, I feel like I know option football as good as anybody. I feel like I learned it from the best in Paul Johnson. So I'm not saying that I don't, you know, worry about schematic stuff, but I just feel like culturally in organizations and teams and groups, I mean, I think culture is everything. I mean, I think the, the strongest unit, you know, on this planet is a family. And a family is a culture. It's built off love and trust. And all those same things, Coach, I try to build in our team. There are things that we talk about in building you know, talking about loving each other and trusting each other. And uh, the great thing about it for us is these guys will have to learn all those same characteristics and same traits in the real world, in real life. Uh, It could be in combat when you're in the military, serving each other and trusting each other and fighting for each other. But I think those things definitely apply in sports. And I've tried to use... Uh, all of those things they learn in the military and build off it in our culture. I mean, we spend a lot of time in talking culture as a staff. I always tell our coaching staff that if your whole meeting is all about video and X's and O's, to me it's a bad meeting. I think you, there should be personal stuff in there where you talk to see how people are doing. Um, you know, when they come in there, you shouldn't just start right away into, all right, you just turn on the tape or video. Or maybe at the end of your uh, meeting time, take some time to talk culture, leadership, um, real life issues. I'm really into, I really believe in building culture, building men of character, but it's not something that just happens. You have to spend time on it. And just as you spend time on blocking and tackling, on coverage stuff, on blocking schemes, you have to build, put time into building culture. And we do that on the road. At meals, we talk about certain things after meals and team meetings. It's not just, you know, throwing on the tape and watching stuff. We're always talking about that. Because I I really believe football is the ultimate team sport and that you got a game that everybody's job description is different. Uh, from a snapper to a quarterback to an offensive lineman to a linebacker. But everybody's job is important in order for you to succeed. So learning how to do your job. Uh, to the best of your ability for the overall success of the team. I think those are things you got to talk about. And, you know, it's not human nature. Everybody, and human nature is what's in it for me. And it's, you're, it's more I, 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 or me, me, me. And everybody's into what's in it for me. We're in team and in culture and in sports, especially at a, a game like football. I think it's important that you talk about how do we build relationships? How do we build trust? How do you build love for your teammate? And, you know, we try to spend a lot of time on that as a staff and as as a program. And obviously those things are intentional. You have to to work at them. There has to be some kind of a system for them. They don't happen by accident. It seems like that's what you've done with your staff is you make that intentional in what you're doing. No doubt, Keith. And it's you know, every year we come out with a vision of our program. And, you know, I really believe it always starts with what's your why. And, you know, everybody in our, you know, th- this I guess you could say um, mission of our program is everywhere. I mean, all of the coaches have it, people in our strength staff, uh, people in their training room, people in our video department. We're all on the same page. We're all going the same way. You know, and, our, and I, it all starts with the why, and, our, and the why of our program is very clear. It's develop young men of character and leadership. That's our why. It's not to win games. It's not to go to this bowl game. And that's our why. Because I always believe that your why is going to dictate the what and how of your program. 
Because if you're wise just only about winning, then I think people will sell their souls to the devil. I mean, they'll do whatever it takes to win. They'll cheat. They'll, you know, morally they'll do things that they know aren't right just to get the W. But I think if your why is clear and if it's something with a value, with, with good intentions, the what and how you do things, then you know, then recruiting is easy. I mean, you're not going to cheat. You're going to do what's right. Uh, how you practice, you know, you're not going to do anything that's against the rules. Uh, but when you start, when your why is only about winning, because this game is a really brutal game. It's a really, um, college football is very demanding. It's a big business. And if you forget your why, or if your why is not, I believe, centered on good principles, that's when things start to happen. That's when you start seeing programs do things that, you know, they shouldn't be doing. Uh, so, yes, it's definitely intentional. It's definitely something. And I tell our coaches this all the time. You know, our staff's been together a long time. I know, you know, all the coaches and their wives and their kids and their names. I mean, we go to bowl games and, you know, the, the back of the plane looks like, you know, a romper room. I mean, there's kids all over the place. And so you, I have great amount of respect and love for all the families and coaches. And I tell them, if we don't, if you guys can't block and tackle, we'll get it fixed. If we can't catch the ball, we'll get it fixed. If we can't cover people, we'll get it fixed. You know, that stuff will get fixed. But if you're doing stuff off the field or if you're cheating or if you're doing things that's going to bring a you know dark cloud to the academy and our program, I'll fire you. You know what I mean? I just feel like, you know, you got to hold people accountable. And how can you hold players accountable if you and your staff aren't held to an accountable standard? So... You know, those are things that we definitely talk about as a staff. And just, just do what's right. I mean, everybody knows what's right and wrong. Just work hard, do what's right. If it's good enough, enough to win, great. If it's not, it's not. You know, then we'll move forward. And culture obviously builds into those work habits and what you do and, and how you teach the game, et cetera. Your approach probably isn't the easiest, or I'm sorry, your style of offense probably isn't the easiest because, you know, not a lot of teams at the high school level uh, run this. So what's your your process of installing your playbook with, you know, new freshmen each year to to get them on board and, and to start playing in a system like this? Well, it's like anything else. I mean, you start you start off with fundamentals. You start off in small parts individually, you know, at each position. Then you move into group work and into teamwork. You know, it's I think it's like teaching any sport. You start off with basics and fundamentals. Then you kind of press forward. Um, you know, to I guess, you know, take the training wheels off, so to speak, and you continue to keep adding. But, you know, our, our, our system, you know, we've been doing it for so long. The linemen start uh, working on their basic steps and footworks, footwork like everybody else. And while everybody else, most people are working at quarterbacks and receivers are working on uh, routes and, you know, RPO stuff, the zone and the bubble screen or whatever it might be. You know, we start off with all of our, our we call mesh work and trip wash option stuff and tail motion and pitch relationship and the fullbacks uh, pitch rela- uh, mesh track and all those things. And you just do it a thousand times, you know, just do it over and over. As you know, repetition is the greatest teacher of all. And you just kind of keep doing things over and over. But I think the thing that helps us, Keith, is yes, it's it's hard at the beginning because guys are coming from different stuff. But what they learn here from day one is the same thing they're going to leave, uh, do when they leave here. 
and I think that's been, you know, added to our success. Our staff's been together. It's the same verbiage, same scheme. It's not different and stuff. And so what you're learning day one is the same thing you're going to be learning on a day 1,000. And so hopefully, you know, every year you get better. You're not learning to – don't have to worry about learning a new playbook, you know, every spring or every fall camp. It's the same stuff. And hopefully your retention gets better and hopefully it starts to sink in year after year. Coach, you mentioned RPOs, which obviously are a very hot topic in in football right now. Uh, How have you mixed in the RPO along with your staple triple option football? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting to me. I mean, I think RPO is option football. Just one is, you know, it's run and pass. Where option, it's more, you know, dive, quarterback, and pitch. Where the RPO stuff, you know, when Chip Kelly and different guys, uh, Rich Rod, Rodriguez, and guys first started doing it, you know, it's, it's still always based off numbers, you know, whether you're, you know, reading the end or reading the overhang player. Uh, you know, it's, it's option-based because it's all based off numbers, Who's how many guys in the box. And that's the same thing. That's always been option football. Option football is all based off numbers. And so, you know, a lot of the stuff are similar. You know, we do some gun stuff too. It's not a big part of our package, but obviously everybody does it. So you try to, you know, put in some wrinkles that way too with some, you know, some some RPO stuff, you know, the typical stuff, whether it's the zone read with the now or bubble screen on the edge, you know, and, and trying to manipulate the overhang player. You know, so we do some of that. I think more probably than doing some of the RPO stuff that, like you said, is kind of the rage of football. Uh, what we've done added, which most people do now, is just up-tempo stuff. You know, before, uh, we didn't do that. Uh, we don't always go fast, but we have the ability to go fast. You know, we were no huddle. Before, we'd always huddle, break the huddle, run to the line of scrimmage or jog, whatever you want to say. But now we, we're, we're always at the line of scrimmage, getting signals from the side. And if we feel like, you know, people are getting tired and we don't want them to sell, we'll go faster. If we feel like we want to slow down a little bit to give our defense a break, you know, we'll slow down. So, you know, of things that we've added that everybody's doing modern football-wise is probably more up-tempo stuff. Uh, how has triple option blocking evolved for you with obviously safety coming to the forefront uh, one of the issues we face in football at least um, you know the the spotlight that the the media has placed on it how has the blocking evolved over the time for you yeah we just adjust whatever the rules are we adjust you know it really hasn't been that big of a deal if they say you can't cut then we go hit somebody in his ribs you know I mean hit him in the hips you know, right at his hip socket, you know what I mean? And so, and if it's stuff backside that, you know, on the scoop blocks where you have to stay up, then that's fine. You know what I mean? It's, uh, I think that's just part of football. You just kind of evolve, you know, whatever has to happen, you know what I mean? Um, and find a perimeter, you know, you're not allowed to do that, then we would adjust to that also, you know what I mean? Because like you said, you know, first and foremost, it's the safety of football, uh, which I understand. You know, I hope they don't take it out on the on the front side, out on the perimeter, where you know everything's in front of people. And I can see maybe eventually they'll take it off backside, which, like I said, wouldn't be that big of a deal. We've started to evolve away from that anyway, and some of the cutoff blocks that you do instead of you know true scoop blocks. But you know, I, but you know, if they do that front side, then I, you know, you know, where do they go defensively? Do they take off tackling? You know, where you can't cut tackle. You know, what I mean, do you have to, you know, stay higher than that? I mean, I don't, 
I mean, I don't know that either. But if it does, I, I guess defense will adjust. I guess kind of my approach to it, Keith, is I really don't worry about it too much because whatever they say and their rules, hey, this is for the safety of the game we're doing it, I'm all for it and we'll just adjust. Coach, what are some of the common adjustments that you see from defenses uh, in trying to stop the triple and 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 where does that take you in your offense? I guess we could follow up with that second part after. Yeah, it's a great question. The thing that's definitely a benefit for us is there's really only four teams that run what we run. You know, obviously the three service academies and 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 Georgia Tech. You know, at the Division One level. Uh, you know, there are other teams that run option football, but it's more based off this, their zone, their zone blocking, and you know, with that, where we're still a true veer midline uh, team. We've started to add some zone blocking. It's become a bigger part of it, but uh, we're still a veer team. And because of that, I believe it's a great advantage for us because people don't see it too often. It's not that defense coordinators don't know how to defend it, but your kids don't see it all week. It's not like the the zone with the bubble with the bubble. I mean, you see that every week or the right G sweep or, you know, I mean, the, the power with the, the power pass or whatever, you know, or with the now screen. You know, those are combinations that, that people see week in and week out. And so I think guys have ideas for it. Plus, more importantly, I think their kids see it every week. Where with, with us, I mean, you, you just see it once a week. And even if you practice it during the spring or whenever you say you practice it, hopefully us practicing it every day will still be better than you practicing it once a week or, you know, a little bit in the spring. And plus you might have, you know, a drop back quarterback trying to run the option as the scout team guy. So hopefully they can't simulate it the way we run it. So hopefully that's an advantage. But we've seen different things from guys uh, you line up and guys try to change their fronts, you know, and try to do all these different defenses. But, I mean, we've been doing this for so long. There's nothing you can do that we haven't seen. And so we just adjust. We just wait to see what you're doing, you know. Why some coaches call plays and looking down at the call sheet, I mean, we don't have call sheets. All of our guys in the box, on the sideline, everybody's eyes are fixed on certain areas of the field, where there's the front side linebacker, back side linebacker, the front side uh, defensive front, the back side of the defensive front, front side coverage, and the back side alley people. So on every snap, we're giving our coordinator instant feedback, what's happening, you know, they're pinching, the linebacker scraping, you know, they're rolling the cloud support or whatever it might be. Uh, and then we adjust accordingly, you know, just our, our stuff's, again, based off numbers. Um, but like I said, our staff's been doing it so long. You know, I think people that try to change up a lot of different things on Unless they kind of help us because then you're forced. Now you're putting an onus on your, your players to make sure that they know how to run four or five different fronts. And if you can, more power to you, man, than you guys really. But we feel like in our in our experience that guys haven't been able to put in that many fronts and be successful at doing it. You know, I mean, it's it's easier said than done. Well, I think, you know, in, in just in talking about that in general, you have a system and that's a good way to run really any offense that you're not going to, you know, what, what do I got to find on my call sheet now? I have the answers. And everybody, like you said, trained to contribute to what is the answer right now. I, I think you, you're exactly right. You know, obviously you coach Keith, so you know, but it's, it doesn't really matter what you do. You better have answers. 
You know what I mean? You better be able to fix it in game day. Now, I'm not talking about Sunday or Monday or, you know, for high school on on on, on, on Saturday morning. You know, and we're all good running the video back, you know, and rewinding it 20 times. Oh, we should have did this. You better know your offense or defense so well that in split, you know, you know, real life split second decisions. Oh, they're doing this. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's crack him. Let's do that. G block it. They said, let's, let's double team him instead of him. You know what I mean? And those are decisions that you can only have if you know your offense. If you're trying to hodgepodge and try to pick from all different types of people and, you know, we'll run a little bit of this and a little bit of Florida State and a little bit of LSU, I think it's hard to fix that kind of stuff. I mean, that's just my own opinion, obviously. But I I think if you want to be successful, you better know exactly what you're doing. You better know how to fix it during the game. Coach, what's some of the best advice you've received in your career? that's helped you along the way? Um, I've received a lot. I'm the one, I guess, that comes to my mind is don't worry about other jobs. You know, just worry about the job you have and do the best you can at that. And in thinking of, uh, you know, a lot of guys do, young guys focus on, oh, I got to get this next big job. What advice do you have to a young coach who's trying to make it in this profession? Yeah, great question. just, Just work hard. Work as hard as you can. Uh, you know, obviously you got to build relationships and networking. I mean, this, I mean, cause you know, I've been in this a long time and, you know, you see guys, you know, at different places, guys that are head coaches and guys that are in the NFL or guys or wherever. And, and you, and you see some other guys, maybe you saw a kid, a guy at high school and it's goes, man, that guy that I met at that school is a way better coach than anybody I've ever seen. And, you know, he's at this level and, Probably he doesn't really care about, you know, going to the next level. Probably very content at high school, which is totally fine. You know, I mean, if that's what you want to do and, you know, maybe see your family more, which I totally understand. But if your aspiration is to move on and uh, find other jobs, you know, obviously it's not bad to write other people and, you know, maybe people you know and let them know your your intentions that, you know, you'd, of, uh, if you're a young coach trying to break in. But the biggest thing I know of guys in move is just to work, work, work hard and just, you know, be a good person. Because word spreads around when you're trying to look for somebody and, you know, coaches talk, hey, you know of any, you know, whatever, outside linebacker coach goes, yeah, I actually know this young kid, he's a graduate assistant, so, man, he works his butt off. I've been really impressed with him. I've met him or whatever. And that's all you can do. It just do the best you can and just working hard, because eventually somebody will notice. Either somebody that you work playing against or working against, or somebody that you're working with, and somebody that you are with becomes you know gets a head job or something, and next thing you know, hey, you know what? I want to take you with me. I've been watching the way you work. Uh, you know, I'd love to take you with you know in this position. So I think that's the biggest thing. Just do the best you can to work hard. Coach, we can't uh, leave this interview without talking about the big rivalry, the big game. In coaching in a game like that, how does your approach differ maybe than other weeks of the season? Uh, It's going to sound cliche, but, you know, Coach, it really doesn't change. It's a huge game, you know, the biggest game, but it's – and ultimately it's still a football game, so you got to prepare – uh, the best you can, just like you would on every game you're trying to win. Obviously, it's uh, you know of great significance to our school and to their school. Uh, but you're trying to win every game, and hopefully your effort level and your preparation that you put into every game 
is just as hard as the Army game. Um, you know, it's changed a little bit this year from the standpoint of in years past, we've had, you know, three weeks or two weeks to get ready after our final season, our final uh, regular season. But being in a bowl game, um, excuse me, our cha- the AAC championship, we only had a week to get ready. So, you know, and preparing for that game now becomes like any other game from a preparation standpoint. You only have a week. So you got to make sure that you got your ducks in line prior to that. Uh, just to make sure that you're ready to go. But the other stuff, it's it's really the same. You just got to, you know, you're, you're preparing for a really good football team and do the best you can to prepare. Coach, I know having uh, your priorities in order is, is very important to you. And I think uh, a lot of coaches can maybe benefit from, from hearing this, but how do you create balance in your life between, you know, a profession which can really uh, become demanding and the things that have to be important, like your faith and your family? Well, I think a lot of it, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm no kid. I mean, it's how I was raised. You know, I have things in my office, you know, pictures of my family, you know, obviously football stuff. But my my office, I got different things in there, but it's either football stuff or pictures of my family, you know, because it just helps me keep things in perspective that, you know, I'm trying to win and you're in a pretty uh, – competitive profession but you know uh, the things that really matter most are my faith and my family so I just have things around me in my office it helps remind me of that but they're just things that have happened in my time in coaching that just try to it just helps me remember that you know what I mean whether it's you know being at conventions and hearing guys talk about their only regret is they wish they spent more time with their family and I would just sit there and just think, man, you know, that's that's something I didn't want to have that same regret because you can't ever get that time back. Now that I'm older and my kids are grown, I can honestly say I don't have any regrets that way. I'm sure, Keith, I could have stayed and watched a little more tape. I'm sure I could have called a few more recruits, you know, and done some more things that way. But I'm grateful that I know that I didn't sacrifice that for my family. I don't have any regrets because, man, I wish I spent more time with my kids. I went to, you know, all my all the games that I could go to, I went to my son's football games as an assistant and my daughter's basketball and lacrosse games. When we were able to go and when I was an assistant and our head coach gave us off and I could go to those places, I was there. You know, and if I had to work harder to come earlier in the morning while my kids were sleeping and so I could go back and leave at night, I would definitely do that. And so I just think... You know, guys, this profession is such a, a tough profession. You just, like you say, got to keep your priorities in order. Just, you only have one family, you know, and you can get other jobs and football comes and goes. Uh, but your family, I mean, you have one of them. And, you know, and I just always try to take that approach. I mean, I'm not any better than anybody else. That was just the way I wanted to do things. And I didn't want to have those regrets you know, when I was coaching, regardless of how many bowl games you go to or whatever you win, I didn't want to be at the end and like, oh, man, I wish I could have spent, you know, more time with my kids or my family. I, d- I didn't want that. Coach, the final question I have for you is uh, one I ask of all guests. What's the one thing you would point to as giving your team, the Naval Academy, the winning edge? Our love for each other. That's, to me, that's really simple. Just our players love each other. 
there's you know that is the foundation of our program we call it the brotherhood but the players definitely love each other and because of the bond and the love for each other it's amazing what you can do when going on the field when the guy next to you is willing to lay everything on the line all that he has for the guy next to him it gives you a chance to be successful coach i really appreciate you taking the time with us here i know our coaches will get a lot of out of this so uh, thanks for um you know helping them and uh, your contributions to the game all right keith thank you thanks for having me i hope you enjoyed this episode from our archives we will be back with some new episodes to get you ready for your season whenever that might start and if you are in season we'll be having some topics that address things that will help you right now in season follow me on twitter for everything that I do for coaches, including our Your Call series, where we give you real situations, real alignments from real games, and you get to make the call. We reveal on video exactly where that call came from the next day.